into the contest. It is Wednesday, June 29. Welcome to Afternoon Sport. Tim Gilbert here. I'm joined by Shane Lee, my great mate. How are you, Shane? I'm outstanding, thanks, Tim. And uh, what's happening today, buddy? Well, we've got another uh, Norths game, actually. My young bloke's playing in uh, one of the North Sydney Rugby League teams. They're up against Manly, so this should be quite a, a big battle. But um, he won't be getting the keys to the car like uh, Ben Affleck's <laughs> 10-year-old son. Did you see that? So Ben Affleck, the famous actor, his 10-year-old son, um, Sam, has just jumped in the car, which just happened to be a Lamborghini, not my ride Toyota, and he, he backed into another thing. Well, he's only, as he said, he's only 10, 10 years old, and uh, Ben Affleck was shopping with his now girlfriend again, um, J-Lo, and the 10-year-old's jumped in, and the car's reversed back accidentally and smashed into another um, very expensive car. The, the car's worth 361000 He's put a big ding in the back of it. So when his old man got back, I think, I dare say, he might have been in a bit of trouble. Yeah, you could probably pay for it out of the ashtray being uh, Ben Affleck and all those <laughs> yeah. famous movies. But oh, yeah, you should get it to it. It'll probably do the job better than the Lambo. Anyway, <laughs> it's a huge day today, of course. Uh, Pat Cummings, interesting comments about Dave Warner. Wimbledon is on like Donkey Kong. And in motorsport, there's a big, big name with big, big money. Another one from Australia. John O'Brien is a legend of Australia's beer industry. In 2003, he dreamed of producing a great-tasting beer that could be enjoyed by everyone, free from the ill effects of mass-produced wheat and barley. John began a brewing journey blending unique aromas and flavours offered by ancient grains such as sorghum and millet. He perfected recipes over time which have led to 40 local and international awards, including three gold medals at the Australian International Beer Awards, a gold medal at the Indies and a silver medal at the Beer World Cup. Proudly 100% Aussie-owned, made in Ballarat, O'Brien Beer is Australia's most awarded gluten-free beer and widely available around Australia through major retailers and online at rebellionbrewing.com.au. O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves you back. What do you think of Pat Cummings' uh, comments about uh, Dave Water? Look, I think they're on the money. I think... Uh this goes back to Dave Warner having a life ban for any captaincy roles. We, we know Steve Smith was only given two year, and he's since come back and has captained his Australian career team again in, um, when Pat Cummins was injured. Um, and I tend to agree with this. It goes back to the Sandpaper Gate back to 2018 now, which is a long time ago. And he just think Dave Warner has done his time and deserves, whether he gets the opportunity or not, to captain the side, I doubt it. But he should have that ban lifted and, and Cummins is, is supporting him in that, in that endeavour. And I think it's a good, good, good bit of leadership from Pat Cummins. Yeah, he's certainly uh, done everything right, hasn't he, Pat, since he's taken mm. the role. He was obviously very clear on what he wanted. He had a mandate for leadership. He didn't want Justin Langer. He didn't want this. He mm. didn't want that. And he's been strong the whole way through, hasn't he? He definitely has, and uh, look, he's, uh, he's he's led the team really well. Um, it's just to see how we go in the Test Series in Sri Lanka. That'll be a whole different kettle of fish, but yeah, so far, so good for Pat Cummins. Yeah, there was the odd blip on the radar last summer with the English cricket team doing a couple of things okay, but generally, they were very, very poor, and it didn't take them long to get it all back together. We mentioned this earlier in the week, and uh, look, the back on the top of the charts, Shane, that's that's the only way to look at it. They've sort of gone boom, crash, opera. They've decided to give Stokes the leadership, McCullum the coaching role in test cricket. Mm. Um, you know, they've gone with Matty Mott in the one-day game. I know they're on their home turf, but New Zealand aren't any slugs when it comes to test cricket these days. 
No, New Zealand were the test champions only a year mm. or so ago, so uh, they're doing really well. Look, I think it's great for, for world cricket. When English cricket is strong, I think it's good for the whole entire game, particularly test cricket. And when England were losing 17 in a row, it's a real big slide on the game of test cricket in particular. And a lot of the power then goes to the subcontinent in India in particular. And I think having a strong English team is really good for the game. Look, they're, they're terming already, you know, they love doing this in England, they're terming the brand of style they're playing under Brendan McCullum as Bazball, which is it's a, it's a positive attacking mindset. And um, so the Poms can definitely put a tagline to something. But look, you can't fault them. 3 0 over New Zealand, the way they played and the aggressive style they played was outstanding. Yeah, and we're starting to see some of these younger fast bowlers come through as well. Uh, mm. A lot of people were wondering where would they look to because, you know, they can't go on forever, these other guys that have done such a wonderful job. Now, staying in the United Kingdom and Wimbledon, of course, is on. And uh, what did you uh, make of Sally Bolton's comments? She is the boss of Wimbledon. And it would have been very difficult for for people like her and others that run big tournaments to grapple with the whole decision as to whether to allow Russian or Belarusian players to play in their tournament. They decided against it. Uh, There is some regret, though, and it's difficult because they know that the tennis players themselves aren't the one making the decisions to go to war. Yeah, look, she she says she uh, stands by her comments but regrets um, the actions that they took and she's just thanked that all the players showed up because there's no ranking points at all um, for this Wimbledon. So it's all going purely on prestige and there is a lot of prestige with Wimbledon so they have all shown up. So she regrets that. But I, I tuned in last night, mate, to watch our mate Nick Curious play and uh, he won in five sets. And at one stage there, I thought he was going to lose in the first round after making all these big comments and it was a typical Nick Curious match where he was fighting with himself most of the time. Um, but he got through. He, he, he served really well um, and held his nerve in the end to win in five sets, 7-5 seven, in the fifth. Um, so good, strong start for Nick Curious. Yeah, good, strong start in the end with five sets. But yeah. uh, he has come out, as uh, you've mentioned a few times, and said he's the best grass court player in the world. <laughs> also, um, some posters hanging around Wimbledon, which you probably wouldn't see every year. <laughs> Signs have been seen... Uh, stating sex parties will not be tolerated with disgruntled locals threatening police action. Um, so there must, uh, yeah, there must be a bit of a tradition of strawberries and, and all that <laughs> other sort of stuff and a little bit of hanky-panky, Shanna. What's the world coming to, Tim, when you can't have sex parties outside Wimbledon? I mean, I, I don't, I've got no idea what this, this is about. Um, the Post also said when they were queuing up to go into Wimbledon, and we know it's a very prestigious area, Wimbledon itself, um, and I've been there, it's, it's a beautiful area. But I don't recall loud music and drinking excessively outside the grounds and sex parties going on when I was there anyway. But, uh, yep, the posters are up, Tim, so they're trying to calm them down. (laughs) The locals not happy with the sex parties. (laughs) Goodness gracious me. Um, Who would have thought? Oh, yeah. There's not many places to go, is there? So we'll change subjects um, to a classy story, a, a, a pure class moment at Wimbledon and of course Jodie Burridge lost her match but won over tennis fans around the world with a, a classy act towards a ball boy uh, who was in strife. Yeah, really nice story. Uh, the ball boy obviously very excited. Imagine being out on centre court as a, as a young ball boy. They're all selected from um, the local tennis academies and he's fainted the poor fellow and uh, Jodie Burridge came over 
gave him some uh, a sports drink, gave him some recovery gel, which they have it, she had in her bag, and then a fan uh, slipped him a little candy bar. So <laughs> the young boy was uh, ended up with a smile on his face, but it was a, a nice touching moment from Jodie Burridge, who, as we mentioned, was losing the game. So it was good for her to stop and look after the young bloke. Yeah, nice touch. Very nice yep. touch. Well, golf has gone to war with Greg Norman over his Rebel League, and I understand why. And uh, uh, it's it's bubbling away, and they, they're going to go all out to try and um, compete now. And uh, you, look, I'm with them on this. I don't understand the reasoning for this, this breakaway. Mm. I think there's enough money in the game. It's not perfect, but really, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, Jay Monaghan, who is head of the PGA, has pretty much officially declared war on the Saudi revolution um, and has announced a sweeping overhaul, um, I suppose, in an attempt to convince players not to join the LIV, the the, um, the revolution itself. Uh, so they're going to mm. really up the ante and the pressure now on players. And I think what life bans will come out of if they do join, um, they won't let a moonlight go come back and forth. I think they're going to try and put hard and fast um, life bans on players that defect. It's a really dangerous scene for the game of golf, isn't it? Yep. It's a really yeah, dangerous scene for relevance and, and everything else going forward. So it's a game that you and I both love. Um, mm. Some days we play well, sometimes we don't. But I, I love <laughs> sitting there watching uh, the major tournaments, particularly I've worked on many of them. And, uh, yeah, it's a testing time for the wonderful game of golf. Stay with us. We have all the footy, the NRL, the AFL, and much, much more. So Kane Corn says time's up for Jordan Dugowie. He should go because of what happened in New York and then the dramas in Bali. I think you and I articulated that we didn't think that the Bali thing was all that much. Um, it was exacerbated by the fact that he, he had a record. Um, what did you make of his comments? I think I think reading into it that uh, I think he might be right. And I think um, Dugowie taking leave for mental health issues um, I thought was pretty much put on – uh, put on by the club that he had to take the leave and it appears that Dugowie himself is so upset and frustrated with the Collingwood Football Club that he's so angry and doesn't even want to play for them anymore the way that he feels he's been treated I think that's a bit unfair on a Collingwood Football Club I think they've given him more than a chance this guy um, and I think they were both at fault that why he would be in Bali mid-season after what he's been through that ordeal overseas and be given another chance why he would go over there and, and then post stuff himself. It's stupid on his behalf and it's stupid from Collingwood. But I think, you know, Collingwood had a good win on the weekend without him. Do they really need him? I dare say they don't now. Yeah, and, and he's young enough. As long as he can regroup, he's young enough yep. to find another club and carve out the rest of his career with, with, you know, some sense of optimism. But he does need to tidy things up a bit, doesn't he, off the field sure. because he, yep. he, he does walk a fine line. And what's happened in, uh, you know, Bali, who cares? But the New York thing was serious and he has had trouble in the past. So, yeah, he he needs to have a good look at the rumour mirrors, I would suggest, and have a look at himself and and get it right. Now, a a rule change. um, Look, often in sport, no matter what sport you play, if if there's an opportunity to uh, take advantage or expose something, coaches, players will do it. Now, um, there's been a change and I think a lot of fans will be happy with this, Shane. 
Yeah, it's the it's, uh, the the one in contention is the protected zone rule. Mm. This is where the AFL are really smart and clever, um, and they do it often. That they make very few changes to the game itself, and they've done tweaks over the years. But if it's not right, they they reverse it straight away. Now they're not totally reversing this protected zone rule where if someone takes a mark, they're supposed to be given a ten meter circle around them where they can then have a free kick of the ball. Um, but they were obviously milking this new rule, and a player who went in for the challenge first. The, the player would often run at him and he was inside the 10 metres and they would milk another 50 metre penalty. So they're just saying now that the guy in the actual um, uh, a collision or, or, or going for the ball has to make best efforts to get out of the 10 metres and they won't be penalised. So they're easing the rule effectively. Yeah, State of Origin, look, if you're a Blues fan, it was fantastic on Sunday night and I think we're all excited by what will come in Game 3 in Brisbane. It's going to be a lot tougher test. There was so much talk and still is reverberations about the refereeing of Ashley Klein and whether or not Kafusi should have been sin-binned. Look, I'm with Brad Fittler. He's he's opened up and understandably on this. I, I thought the refereeing, and I, and I try to take a step back and look at it impartially, but look, he deserved to be sin-binned. He deserved it. And basically... The, the the way that the game was refereed, the penalty count was 8-5 Queensland's way mm. anyway. Um, so, so much was made of it. They were flogged. <laughs> they were absolutely flogged. It's not as if we won the game by a couple of points. Uh, we absolutely nailed him up there. And if you look at the footy, Sally, he was aggravating. He had his knees in there and he, he should have been sin-binned. Move on. And I think Brad Fiddler, we'd have to defend that at all. And I think the way he handled it was perfect. Bring on game three. Yeah, bring on game three. Will Latrell Mitchell be there? He's put out a post, of course, but he returns for South Sydney. He's an X factor. He, um, he he has a little bit of time to prove himself, not that he probably has to prove his class, but maybe his fitness. He's had a battle with COVID. He's been out injured. He's been overseas. Um, yeah, it's hard because Burton and uh, Crichton both did a great job. Do you bring Latrell in? Look, me personally, if Latrell's fit, he's in every time. He's a match winner. He's a big game player. And uh, look, it just comes down, as you said, Timmy's fitness. He's very cheeky post saying Burton can have number four. And we know Latrell wears a number three for the Blues. So he wants his number three back. Mm. And I love Fitless comment. He said, I didn't realise that Latrell was a selector now. <laughs> I look forward to watching him play on the weekend. So Freddie will have a close eye on Latrell this weekend, see how he goes and... Um, We'll go from there. Yeah, well, I'm with you. I'd find it very hard to leave him out of a side, particularly yeah, a must-win game. When you look at the highlights of last year's series where New South Wales won the series with all three games in Queensland, it was Latrell Mitchell and Tommy that uh, were all over those highlights. And last week, Stephen Crichton was was good. Matt Burton was outstanding. So if there was a change, mm. it just would be, you would expect Crichton back to the bench and Latrell in if, they, if they go that way. All right, uh, yep. what about this Australian driver, Matty Campbell? Uh, he's racing for Porsche at Le Mans, uh, a young Australian racing driver, and he's set to follow in Mark Webber's footsteps. This is pretty exciting stuff. There's big money. Big, big news for Matt Campbell. He's only 27 years of age and the youngest driver selected for the Porsche team. Um, and as you said, following the footsteps of Mark Webber, uh, an amazing opportunity for him. If he does well here, um, you know, potentially puts him into you know, tens of millions of dollars uh, in potential contracts uh, to drive for some of these teams. Really big opportunity for Matt Campbell and well done. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Now, wrapping it up today, mate, the West Indies. Uh, 
nothing like a little bit of uh, uh, memory of, of the mighty, mighty West Indies cricket team. And, of course, you as a, as a gifted international player had the opportunity to travel to the West Indies and uh, it was an interesting place to tour, huh? <laughs> it was. We were there in 1999 before the World Cup in England and we played mm-hmm. a one-day tournament and I was getting a, a warming up before the game and Damien Martin was throwing me some what we call throwdowns, um, throwing me some balls to hit and I was hitting the ball against the fence. Well, this West Indian supporter, it was a, we are warming up at say 10 in the morning, he was just giving it to me, abusing me, calling me all sorts of names um, under the sun and how Ambrose was going to absolutely kill us when we batted and, and how certain batsmen were going to flog, flog us when we bowled to him. But this guy was quite rude. Now, I'd like to say oh, I'm good enough to do this, Tim, but I didn't mean it, honestly, that one of the cover drives that I hit sort of stuck in the turf and this guy who was mid-sentence sledging me, the ball hit him right between the eyes that I hit like a trace ball. And I thought I actually killed the black. I was really nervous at first. <laughs> and I got over it and I jumped the fence to see him down between the fence. And I said, are you all right? And he just smiled. He goes, I shouldn't talk so much, should I? And I gave him a pair of gloves and we walked off and I shook his hand. But, uh, yeah, I don't think he'll do it again. <laughs> but thank God I didn't kill him. Oh, nice hit. The kookaburra between the eyes. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen. Big thank you to our sponsors. Our fantastic sponsors, O'Brien Beer, the beer that loves you back. The beer that loves you back. And, of course, our wonderful mm-hmm. producer, Mr. Dan McHugh. We're back tomorrow with your daily dose of sport. We'll see you then, guys. Take care. Building Resilience Podcast. They play in different arenas, but sports and business have massive similarities. Elite athletes and top business leaders flourish through the physical and psychological demands their high-stress careers place on them. The Building Resilience podcast explores the world of sport and deconstructs the tools and ethos of world-class athletes that can help us create growth and optimize business and life. Come find the Building Resilience podcast on your favorite podcast app.